Cradio.org.au I would like to talk to you at length. I would like to listen to you and know what you think about yourselves and the world. But the time I have been given is so short. You who feel the need for healing, the need for love, the need for a friend, for Christ. Perhaps I love you more. Living the Legacy, an exploration of the charisms of Blessed John Paul II with Sister Bernadette Pike. Welcome to Cradio. This is Sister Bernadette Pike speaking. I'm a John Paul II sister from Perth who's currently in Washington DC studying and we're in the process of providing a series on the spirit of John Paul II. This is the last talk in the series and we're focusing at the moment, concentrating at the moment on the aspect of John Paul II's charism that relates to entering into dialogue. And we begin the talk today by looking at the role of language and also the importance of witness in the way that we proclaim Christ and his good news to other people, the way that we relate to others in this relationship. What, how do these two aspects of our relationship come into play? Now, the first one, language, there are many people who who weren't religious at all, who knew that John Paul II knew a lot of languages and were impressed by his capacity to remember all of those languages. Fortunately, to be a missionary of the gospel, you don't have to be able to know lots of languages <laughs> because for some of us, it doesn't come with as much ease as it did for John Paul II. But what is important is to appreciate the value of language. And this John Paul II communicates to us eloquently throughout his life. So in one, in one particular quote, he said, you asked me in the first place why I have just spoken in Japanese. I have done so and I mean to continue to do so in certain circumstances in order to show my respect for your culture, which like the culture of every nation is expressed partly, in fact, primarily in its language. Language is a form that we give to our thoughts. It is, as, it's, as it were, the clothes that we put on our thoughts. A language displays a particular characteristic of the identity of a people or a nation. In a sense, a language is a nation's heartbeat because it is in that language, in his own language, that expression is given to the essence of a person's life in the community of the family, of the nation and of history. So for John Paul II, it wasn't... Um, just about being able to relate to that person. It was about being able to understand who that person was in order to really understand what they, who they are and need to understand the language they're using to describe themselves. Interestingly, when he studied St. John of the Cross at a very young age, he learned Spanish in order to be able to read St. John of the Cross's writings. He also translated... I think it was Max Shaler's work 
from German into Polish in order to be able to write his second thesis. So for him, even when he was um, studying, I mean, I'm pretty sure he knew German already before then. He didn't learn it for the sake of the translation. But he understood that really to be able to understand what someone is communicating, I really have to understand the language that they're speaking in. Now, John Paul II obviously had a particular interest in language. He studied Polish language and letters before he entered the seminary. Um, which he said introduced him to the mystery of language itself and helped him to appreciate the power of the word in his literary and linguistic studies. Now, for us as missionaries of the gospel, we need to be able to learn what we can. This doesn't mean necessarily learning, I think he may have known 12 languages fluently, I'm not exactly sure how many, but certainly he spoke a little bit of many, 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 many different languages. And this is really good for us to do too. If we learn someone who comes from a different background to learn the basics of their language, to be able to communicate with them, it means so much to someone. Even if we say hello in their own language or if I go to Mass in a different language and they say body of Christ to me in English instead of the language that I'm there for, it really touches me because it's a way that they acknowledge who I am and try to enter into relationship with me. So it can be very powerful when we learn to to do that. And the John Paul II sisters will learn at least one other language than their native tongue to be able to help us to preach the gospel to different countries. The other thing we will strive to learn, though, is that it's not just the verbal language of people that is helpful to learn. It is also good to become proficient at speaking the language of the heart. The Acts of the Apostles explain that when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples at Pentecost, they proclaimed the mighty works of God, and those who heard them heard their words in their own tongue. This is from Acts 2.11. So we too are called to open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and allow him to teach us to speak of God's mighty deeds in a language that each person will understand, both in terms of their native tongue, but also in terms of the language of their heart that is in fitting with their personal experience and their perspectives. So when when we were talking about the way that we relate to people and we're hearing all of what's going on for them interiorly, they're speaking that in a particular language that's teaching us not just about them, but also how they communicate that. And we can use that language to speak back to them, to acknowledge what they're saying, to validate that, to affirm all that's good in that and to bring Christ into that. So in Sources of Renewal, the Holy Father said, Catholic belief must be explained more profoundly and precisely in such a way and in such terms that our separated brethren can also really understand it. So whenever we're preaching the gospel, we have to be mindful of this central directive that the Second Vatican Council gave us. It's not just the tenets of the faith we teach, it's the proclamation of the gospel that has to be fitting for modern times. So it has to be given in a way that people can understand it, in a way that people can learn to integrate it within their own lives. Another point we need to touch on in terms of the way we relate to other people and the way we dialogue with them, the way we proclaim the gospel, is the importance of personal witness, which is obviously crucial. The new evangelization, like that of other times, John Paul II says, will be effective if it proclaims from the rooftops 
what it has first lived in intimacy with the Lord. He said this in Vita Consecrata at 81 and in Novo Millennio Innuente, which is a great document to read if you're looking at a document to follow up from these talks if you'd like to um, to learn more about John Paul II is something that's relatively easy to read. He says in this document, the men and women of our day often perhaps unconsciously ask believers not only to speak of Christ but in a certain sense to show him to them. I invite, he says, the Christian faithful both individually and as communities to bear authentic witness to Christ through the new life they have received. So what we're talking about here is when we go to proclaim the gospel, when we go out to love people, we need to ensure that insofar as possible, this truth that we're proclaiming has been integrated within us. We all know that people of our time, and even I'm sure we can identify it within ourselves, I certainly can see it within myself, there's a radar, like a, a, a radar that's on 24-7 that detects or, or seeks to discover whether what someone is saying is true in their, for them as well, not just in terms of what they believe to be true, but is it something that they actually live out? And if it isn't, if it's something that they're preaching and not living, then there's a hypocrisy, there's an inconsistency there, an inauthenticity that um, discredits the very message that we're proclaiming. So if the followers of Christ aren't living the gospel, then the, the very message itself loses power and Christ isn't communicated. We, we, we know this from our lived experience. If this is something that someone can live out, we're not just hearing a message, we're being drawn in by the example that that person sets for us. A, a way that this is highlighted for us now is in response to the, the forceful atheism that we find around us at the moment. And in terms of responding to this atheism and addressing atheism in our modern times, John Paul II has said that confronting the roots of atheism is brought about chiefly by the witness of a living and mature faith, one namely that is so well formed that it can see difficulties clearly and overcome them. Many martyrs have borne and continue to bear a splendid witness to this faith. This faith should show its fruitfulness by penetrating the whole life, even the worldly activities of those who believe, and by urging them to be loving. This is in Gatti Minute Spares 21. So what we can see here is that if, if I'm in dialogue with someone who doesn't believe in God and I'm trying to convince them of the reality of God or even of the, the beauty of the church's teaching, if that isn't seen visibly in my own life, if I'm not full of joy, if I haven't found and begun to live out that power of Christ that I'm proclaiming, then I can't expect anyone else to be drawn by that. The, the message is empty and in a way it's infertile. It's not going to bear new life. It's only really by integrating the faith and living it first that Christ is able to work through us and to become visibly present in the world. The next point we we want to touch on is the idea. So it's moving on from the dialogue really and just it's the attitude of faith or the the whole do not be afraid that we constantly heard coming from the lips of John Paul II. 
So th- this is the kind of attitude that that penetrates across all of all of the different things that we've been talking about and or underlies all of them really. He was encouraging us to to be bold and confident in the way that we proclaim the good news and not to be afraid, not to be afraid of both the world and of who we are. Before Vatican II, we can see that there was this fear of the world and of trends in the world, things that were happening in the world within the church. And we need to keep seeking the goodness and the the seeds of truth that are out there and within people and even within particular ideologies that seem mad Find, to find where the source of truth is. Often when I hear of a new program that comes out or on TV, or I don't have a TV, so I don't watch TV, but when I listen to what it's about, if it's about vampires or I don't know, all kinds of different things that I, I don't have much of an interest in watching myself at all, actually, but I want to know why the people watching it are interested in it. What are they being drawn to? What What is the kind of the goodness there that attracts them in that kind of program or whatever it is that's going on that that is that is something that we can kind of begin with and start with so we have to be courageous in the way that we approach the world and all the things that are happening in the world whilst being prudent of course too and being careful that we don't buy into things but that that aren't of god but to have that courage this is not just in relation to the things outside of ourselves but even in relation to ourselves because it is very easy, we all, we all know it's true, to become discouraged and to have days where we're just not even sure how it's going to happen. I, I often find myself saying, you know, Lord, I'm not really sure why you chose me. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work out in relation to this community. But you did, and so you must know what you're doing. And so, Jesus, I trust in you. Told us to us. We... we we have to be careful that we don't become overwhelmed in when we do face ourselves, the reality of ourselves and grow in self-knowledge, that we don't become overwhelmed in despair. It is important that we do get to that point where we confront the reality of our own weakness, though. And very often the Lord brings us to that point where we have to acknowledge, okay, I can't do this anymore. An example of this is in the Scriptures after the disciples saw Jesus. They, they had gone back to fishing and after the death of Jesus, they'd gone back to fishing and they were discouraged. And so Jesus comes to them at this time when they're feeling rejection and failure. And he says to them, he needed first an honest answer from the disciples, the admission of their hopelessness and impotence. So I'm quoting John Paul II as he refers to this scripture in a homily on the 2nd of May, 1987, he says to them, have you caught anything to eat? Then after they say, not a thing, he helped them. Suddenly the risen Lord became a reality in their life and changed it. His reality gives a new meaning and in many cases an unexpected, deeper fulfillment to everything. But what was necessary before he could bring them to that awareness, before he could say, go out and get fish, he first needed them to acknowledge. He knew that they hadn't caught anything, but he needed them to be able to acknowledge that for themselves too. So very often things happen in our lives where the Lord is highlighting an area where we need to grow in or an area where we need to experience healing and we need to embrace those opportunities. I always take comfort in the confessions of St. Augustine, if you can get a hold of the book, 
there's a section in it that seems to be perennially quoted as well. It's a bit like his My Heart is Restless Until, I, to, until We Rested in God. You hear that one all the time as well. This is another one, though, of St. Augustine's um, from this book of Confessions, and it relates to that scary moment where we're beginning to understand ourselves and we're feeling a bit overwhelmed by what we see. And St. Augustine, when this happens to him, he, he says, And you set me there before my own face, that I might see how vile I was, how twisted and unclean and spotted and ulcerous. I saw myself and I was horrified, but there was no way to flee for myself, that I might see my iniquity and loathe it. I had known it, but I had pretended not to see it, had deliberately looked the other way and let it go from my mind. It's from chapter 7.16 from the Confessions. We can so relate to this, can't we, really? We, we get a sense of our weakness, but it's just, we, we would just rather be a little bit bad and a little bit good. Like, uh, we don't want to take on too much. I don't want to think of myself as a saint, but I don't want to confront the reality. We, we, we try and take a little bit of them rather than really accepting the fullness of it, of both of them, that actually we're wretched, we're weak, we're lowly, we're nothing without God. And on the other hand, we've been given this great dignity by his grace through redemption to work through that, to experience healing and to be able to actualize ourselves and become holy. But it is this, this point of facing our inadequacy of repenting of those um, first parts and then turning to the good news is a, a very crucial first step in the, um, in the process of, of proclaiming the gospel, of entering into this new order of human relations that we're talking about. And whilst it's good to be like the prodigal son, to return to the father, to fall at his feet and to acknowledge our sinfulness and a repentance with God, we can't stay in that place. We have to look up to the father and acknowledge his open arms, the way that he's accepting us, receiving us and forgiving us. Now, this, this is a, a central theme for all of John Paul II's activity his, and his, his approach to things. His first encyclical was in English, The Redeemer of, although fortunately that Latin one I didn't have any problems pronouncing, but I do know that one in English too, The Redeemer of Man. And in this encyclical, the nature of redemption and the importance of redemption for man is highlighted. And the Holy Father has said that it was already in his heart in Poland before he became Pope, this emphasis on the importance of redemption, of experiencing that within our own lives and then bringing that to other people so that we realize that no matter what we've been through, no matter what the sin is, no matter what the weakness is, love is always and goodness is always going to triumph over evil if we give it the chance. So if we allow that redemption to take place, to, to come to life within us, it's always going to be much stronger than, than, the, than the worst of the ugliness and the mess that we sense that is within us. And the Holy Father knew the world needed this hope, that there was this despair there, and he wanted to bring this good news. This is the essence of the good news that he wanted to bring to the world and to help them to experience and to realize in their lives. In Sources of Renewal in Chapter 3, he calls it the, this particular attitude that he's referring to is 
um, an attitude towards Christ and the consciousness of redemption. So he's saying that in the way that we respond to Vatican II, there needs to be now this consciousness of redemption, the redemption that, that flows like a stream through all the Vatican II documents. He's calling us to learn, what does it mean for me to be redeemed by Christ? This is something that I don't have time to go into depth here, but something that we really need to study and to incorporate or assimilate into our lives. Another point I'd like to mention as we come to a close in finishing this series is the idea of entrusting ourselves to Christ through Mary. So we've talked about being a gift of self to God and to the other person. And I I wish I had time to go through the spirituality or what I would like to share about the spirituality of John Paul II in this series as well, but unfortunately I don't. But this whole notion of redemption and then this entrustment to our Blessed Mother to take care of us and to lead us is is very, very big in this in learning this way of being within the church according to John Paul II's way of doing things. So I would really encourage you as you strive to live out some of the things that we've been talking about, when you have difficulty, entrust yourself to our Blessed Mother who is the model and has shown us the way and knows the difficulty. She too wants a personal relationship with us. She doesn't want us just to say Hail Marys. She wants us to become close to her so that she can love us like a mother. She can take care of us and show us the way to her son. So we express the prayer that John Paul II made, told us to us, and we ask her to take care of us, to help us to really to live out this message. I would also, if I had the time, would like to talk about how we enculturate this gospel, not just into the lives of individuals or into our own life, but even into the culture, the enculturation of the gospel. This is what the Holy Father refers to in Sources of Renewal as the apostolic attitude, this idea of agentes, to go out to all the corners of the earth and preach the good news. John Paul II didn't want to just go to every country. He wanted to go to every home, to every family, to every heart and bring this message of good news. And we need to learn, well, how do I bring the gospel, not just to the individuals, but even in terms of the culture of my workplace or my sporting team, how can I I bring the message to that particular environment as well too? And if if you want to follow up on it, there's the idea of his missionary spirituality as well too. Again, it's part of his spirituality, but it's still linked in with this idea of taking what we've received and what we've first lived out within our own hearts. And so we, we finish with a prayer as we finish this um, series off. I was going to do another talk based on the community, but that might I think that might follow in time. We'll see how we go. I'll finish it for here. And I, I really want to emphasize before I finish with prayer, if you do have any thoughts or experiences, questions, criticisms. I'm totally good with fraternal correction. I I really appreciate it. So please send me an email. Our website is www.mg.org.au. That's MG for Missionaries of the Gospel, mg.org.au for Australia. So please, yeah, send me your thoughts or your questions and concerns. And I look forward to an ongoing dialogue so that we can really both learn from each other. What is it? What is this charism all about? I need to be corrected. I need to learn too. So please help me in this regard. Help me to live it out as well too, so that we can both bring this great message, this new way of relating to one another, to the church, bring the church back alive to really proclaim Christ in a credible way. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh Lord, we've, we've got through this 
radio series and we give you thanks for getting us through. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of this charism, even if we only, it's, we have an inadequate way of expressing it or describing it now. We still, we thank you for it because we experienced it in John Paul II and we want to learn to imitate that within our own lives. So we pray that you help us to do that. Give us, Lord, the courage to be able to live this out without fear of rejection or of indif- without indifference. Um, we pray, Lord, that you help us to live, to, to be mindful of the message of redemption that you have for us, the love of our blessed mother. Help us to be a witness of the crucified and the resurrected Christ, to be able to go out to the nations to enculturate the gospel in whatever environment you're calling us to, to bring Christ, to bring you, Lord, and your saving message to every person that we come across. So I personally, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, um, to share this message that is so close to my heart, that, that I find so exciting. And I pray, Lord, that you sustain me and all those that you call in our attempts to understand and to live out this most magnificent and glorious charism, this great gift that you've given the church. So with a heart full of thanksgiving, I offer myself to you, Lord, in this ongoing mission in the church. Blessed John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Living the Legacy with Sister Bernadette Pike. For more, go to cradio.org.au.